Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. All right. Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be with you this morning to have the opportunity to uh, continue our walk through the the book of Exodus. And as we uh, think about this idea of being in the wilderness, uh, it feels during the summer in Central California sometimes that you are in the middle of the wilderness. And this afternoon is going to be one of those days, but you're in a nice, cool spot, relatively, I guess, cool spot. Uh, and so we believe you're in the right, the right spot. And if you were here last week, well, I should say if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Ed Izaki's uh, message. Uh, he was here last week as a guest uh, preacher, did a great job, and he reminded us that the book of Exodus uh, contains some incredible historical uh, stories, uh, just uh, illustrations of God's power, uh, exciting uh, stories when you think about uh, Moses and the deliverance from Egypt and God's power in the, in the plagues against Pharaoh. I mean, it's exciting reading. Moment by moment, you're just drawn in and, and you want to hear what, how, what happens next. And so the book of Exodus is full of, of those kinds of stories. And it's also got uh, some deep dives, dives into some minutiae. Uh, some instructions, some things that maybe aren't as exciting reading, but as Ed uh, pointed out last week, it is a, a communication or a reflection or a revelation of God's character. We get, a, we get a picture of who God is in a deeper way as we look at some of the minute things that, that he's proposing and the instructions that he's uh, giving. So we, we want to continue in that, uh, in that theme, and we're also, rem- as we see these things happen, Bit by bit, we get a, a picture or a glimpse of the revelation of Jesus and what that's going to mean to us, not just in the New Testament, but even in 2021, what that means to us as we live and walk with Jesus uh, today. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself this morning on that. But it's just, it, it's, it's exciting uh, to see those, uh, that symbolism and those pictures uh, revealed to us as we move through Exodus. So just a reminder, last week, uh, Ed's three main points were this. God is holy, man is unworthy, and God cares about details. And this morning we're going to kind of continue uh, in, in with those themes. But in the middle of the sermon last week, and maybe you caught this, uh, Ed dropped a couple of big uh, truth bombs. And one of the truth bombs he dropped was this. This is what he said. He said, God does not want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. And I just reflected on that as I was listening. I wrote that down. I said, that, that is worth remembering. He reminded us that a lot of times we create God to look like us, to sound like us. God never says anything we disagree with. And God, most of the time, God agrees with what we do. And there are times where we, we move outside of that. But we've created this God that we're pretty comfortable with. And, and Ed reminded us that, that God is not in business of necessarily... Uh, first and foremost, your happiness, it's your holiness that God cares about. And I just thought, man, that's, that's a game changer and that's a winner. So we want to kind of continue with these similar themes of God's holiness, our unworthiness, the details that God gives us. He's given instructions on the tabernacle. Uh, that's kind of what Ed talked about last week, uh, read to us about this uh, mobile worship unit that went with the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness and then this morning, we're going to push in a little bit into the uh, priestly garments that, that God instructed Moses to, uh, 
uh, create and put on uh, the priests. And so we're going to be looking primarily in Exodus 28 and 29. So if you have your Bible this morning, I would encourage you to find uh, Exodus 28, 29. Hold your Bible open at that spot. Uh, we're going to look at that in a moment. But before we do, I want to let you know that throughout my life, I've had the opportunity of wearing a variety of different uniforms. Um, when I was in Little League, I had a, a pretty snappy Little League uh, uniform. And when I worked at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, I had a pretty neat little, uh, uh, what do they call that thing that keeps the dirt and stuff off you? Uh, apron, yeah, I had a really neat apron with the KFC logo on it. It was pretty cool. I was a custodian for a while, so I had a custodian uh, shirt. But uh, this morning I wanted to kind of show you a picture. This is about 40 years ago. Uh, of me uh, when I was uh, a football player at Azusa Pacific uh, University, and I, uh, uniforms were pretty important to me. Um, yeah, so that's me right there. I, and I wanted to point out a couple things because this is, this is important. Um, if I cared, first of all, let me just say this, if I cared as much about playing well as I did about my uniform, it would have been fantastic. I cared a lot about my uniform. My socks had to look a certain way. I had that tape right across the top. I had to have just enough of the orange sock underneath showing. My pants had to fit just right. So when the game pants came out uh, each week, I made sure I got a pair that fit right because my hip pad, I wanted just a little bit. You can see a little bit of it showing there. I wanted that to show. I mean, it was super important to me that I, I had shoes that I wore only for games. I had practice shoes that I wore for practice, but sh shoes that I only wore for games. So I, I cared pretty much a lot about what I looked like and what my uniform looked like. And you may remember even maybe 10 or 15 years ago, ago those of you that follow, follow college football, uh, Phil Knight, who was the uh, founder of Nike, uh, made a contract with the University of Oregon. And when he did that, their football uniforms totally and completely changed. They went from one home uniform and one away uniform to where now they've got literally dozens of combinations that they can wear. And if you've watched college football, you'll, you know that football uniforms in the past decade or so have totally changed. So uniforms are important. Uh, uniforms distinguish us. Uh, they set us apart. They identify us, you know, maybe what team we play for or where we work. Uh, they indicate maybe certain responsibilities, even my number there, 43, even though I play defense, numbers aren't as important on defense, but it gives you an idea of what my responsibilities might have been. So uniforms, that's what they, that's what they do for us. They, they set us apart, they identify us, they let people know this is who we are and some of my responsibilities. Now, I was never in the military, but I think those of you that have been in the military or that, you know, in this area were familiar with that, same thing. We can, we can identify a branch of the military by the uniform that they're wearing and, and even the type of uniform that they have, in, insignias that are on it. We know who that person is. So that's, that's the uh, importance of uniforms. And th this morning what we want to do is we want to look at the uniform that God created for the priests. Because it said something about not just who they were, it definitely said that, but a little bit about their responsibilities and the importance of what they were doing. So you need to keep in mind as we look at Exodus 29, I just want to remind you that uh, Moses right now is still up on the mountain with God. He's getting these instructions. He's been given the Ten Commandments. He's been given the, the instructions, construction details on the tabernacle 
And now he's getting instructions on the priestly garments and the priestly responsibilities. So he's still in the presence of God getting these uh, instructions. So if you would find with me Exodus chapter 28, we're going to look at verse 1. Uh, we're going to look at verses actually 1 through 5 of Exodus 28. Uh, and let me read this for you. This is what it says. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, Ithamar, so they can serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as priests. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. So there's just a glimpse, the beginning of an understanding of what these garments should look like and a little bit about why God would give uh, Moses these instructions about garments. And so I want to pull out two big ideas uh, from these two chapters uh, this morning. And the first uh, big idea I want us to land on is this, that the priesthood was a calling from God. This was not something that just anybody could do. God specifically designated Aaron and his four sons, and then eventually, of course, it was the whole tribe of Levi to be priests. So you may have been born and wanted to be a priest, but if you did not have the right qualifications, uh, you could not uh, participate as a, as a priest. This was a calling from God. And so this is something God established. He made provision for the Levites uh, throughout the history of Israel. Uh, he established that Aaron's descendants would perpetually be priests within, within Israel. And they had responsibility for two major uh, areas. One was the administration and the ministry of the sanctuary or the tabernacle. They represented the people before God. As they went in and participated in the sacrificial system, the priest represented the people before God. And then secondly, they had custody and administration of the law of Moses. They were responsible for, for uh, making sure that that was uh, proclaimed accurately and, and held in, in honor. So some of you that have been around uh, FBH for many, many years may remember when we were on the road. We were without a home and we had a team, right? They, call, they were called the Levites. Russell established this group and they were responsible for going into Pioneer Middle School each week, setting up uh, chairs and sound system and then tearing it down afterwards. It, and it comes from this idea that there was a responsibility for the, the worship practices of the Israelites. And so that's what the Levites and Aaron in particular and his four sons were responsible for doing. And, and we can see how important this was. If you would just flip over one chapter to chapter 29, this won't be on the screen, but uh, this is what it says in chapter 29 beginning at verse 1. It says, this is what you are to do to consecrate them. So that they may serve me as priests. Take two young bull, take a young, take a young bull and two rams without defect. And from the finest wheat make flour, round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast, with olive oil mixed in, thin loaves without yeast, and brush with olive oil. Put them in a basket, present them along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting. Wash them with water. Take the garments, dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe. Uh, of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him 
by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem on the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. We'll stop there at verse 10. So this is a clear setting apart of Aaron and his sons for the work that God's called them to do. They are being consecrated. They've been set apart from the rest of the people for this incredible responsibility. And so it, I think it illustrates for us the seriousness of what God's doing. That this, this worship practice, this sacrificial system that, that God's establishing is terribly important. That as they come, as, we, uh, as the people were to come into God's presence or at least come near to God, they needed someone to go ahead of them, a sacrifice to be made. And these priests were doing, were responsible for this. And even this idea in verse 10 of, of chapter 29, this laying their hands on the bull. It was this symbol of transferring the sin of Aaron and his sons to the bull. And then the bull was sacrificed for their sins as priests. Before they could even do their job representing the people, they needed to get their sin taken care of. And so they laid their hands on this animal and their sin was transferred to this animal and then it was sacrificed. Later on in chapter 29, there's an interesting uh, part of the ceremony where they take some of the blood of the animal and they put it on their right earlobe, on their right thumb, and on their right big toe. And you read that and you go, what is going on with that? But I believe the idea at least is that they were consecrated completely. This was a complete work of God in their life. They are set apart for the work that God had set out for them to do. And this ceremony emphasized the importance of that. And chapter 29 wraps up with these uh, verses. In verse 45, it says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So this is what God has established. This, this priestly office that, that these men were responsible for, responsible for uh, going into God's presence uh, on behalf of the people. So the priesthood was a calling from God. But there's a second big idea that I, I think is just as important, and it's their garments. Their garments were important. And so certainly the elaborate nature of what they were doing with, and you can read uh, further about this in chapter 28, but it's in, incredibly specific about what God wanted. And I think at the very least what this is doing is this is elevating the priest, reminding the people that this is a, a sacred call on their life, and it's elevating them in the eyes and in, in, the, uh, uh, in the presence of the people. So these garments were important. It says in verse 2 of chapter 28, if you want to move back one chapter now to chapter 28, these garments were to give them dignity and honor. It was for their conse consecration. It was to set them apart from the rest of the people that as when they went in uh, to do their work. They were wearing this uniform. They were wearing these garments that set them apart from the rest of the people. Uh, in verse 4 of chapter 28, God calls these garments sacred. And so there were six pieces, of uh, sp specific pieces that God had uh, Moses created. There was a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, turban, and sash. And each of them was uh, a specific color. Uh, and, and I believe if you 
walk through this with a little bit more study, you'll see that each of these pieces of clothing had a particular function and purpose. But at the very least, I, I believe that it highlighted this idea that these priests represented the people before God. And if you look further into Exodus 28, down at uh, verse 9, this won't be on the screen, but you can read it in Exodus 28, beginning at verse 9. God says, take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in order of their birth. Six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. So this is the idea that as, as Aaron went into the presence of God, he was carrying the names of the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel on his body. Not just on his shoulders, but if you go further into the breast piece, the breast piece also had 12 stones with each of the 12 tribes engraved on the stones. So clearly, as Aaron and, and the priests went into the presence of God, they went as the people's representative. And so that's part of what these uh, garments are about. They are to lift up the importance of the priests. They are to remind the people of the reverence that worship should, should have in our life and that these, these men were representing the people as they went into the presence of God. So God's taken a significant amount of time with Moses on these things, right? He goes into incredible detail. He talks about colors, the type of fabric, uh, gold and for this and blue for this, and this is what it's supposed to say. And he's gone into, this, on t- into these details. And, and so we have to ask, at least I have to ask, is why would he do that? Why would he go into such incredible detail on these, uh, this clothing and then setting apart these priests uh, in the way that he did? And my answer to that is first and foremost that it's important to God. What he is establishing is important. This is a key point. Worship is a key point of our connection as people with our God. And it needs to be done right. And it needs to be done as God instructed. And in the Old Testament, this is the way that he instructed it to happen. So it's important to God. And it's also a reminder that this, is, this idea of worship, this idea of connecting with God is something that we need to take very seriously. God's completely holy. God's all-powerful. Ed reminded us of this last week. God dwells in complete perfection and purity. He's completely holy. And so when we think about going into God's presence for worship or to be in God's presence, we need to be careful about going in with reverence and understanding of who God is. And here's one of the illustrations of how I know this is true. Two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, ran into some trouble in the book of Leviticus. And if you want to look it up and read the story, you can. It's in Leviticus chapter 10. But in Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu took their censers where they had uh, incense burning when they would go into the presence of God. And this is what it says in Leviticus. It says, they put fire in them and added incense, and then they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. Verse 2 of Leviticus 10 says this. 
So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. They died before the Lord. You think God takes worship properly, worship in a proper way seriously? I think he does. And these guys didn't do it very well, and it cost them. So it kind of cut in half the uh, priestly uh, team from four, well, to five, from five to, uh, to three. So God's instructions give us a picture of what the worship and religious life of the Israelites was to look like. We're reminded that God is holy, of what his expectations are. We're reminded of our unworthiness, of our need to come before God with a clean heart and a clean life. And it's impossible to do that without a sacrifice for our sin. Now let me be a little bit transparent here this morning. And I'm going to tell you that this is something that I really uh, struggle with. When I come to worship on Sunday mornings or even when I approach worship on my own, if I'm reading uh, scripture during the week or coming to my personal devotional time, I really struggle. I have to really remind myself what I'm doing, that I'm coming into the presence of God. And let me just say, this has nothing to do with Peter's preaching. This has nothing to do with Kyle and the worship team's music. This is all on Jeff, okay? This is Jeff's heart before God. So it's not that well, this, they didn't, you know, Peter didn't mention this when he was preaching through this passage. That has nothing to do with it. It's all to do with Jeff's heart before God. Am I coming with a recognition and with the reverence of who God is and what God wants to say to me? The rest of it is, is it's not that it's unimportant, but it's secondary to my heart before God. And this is a struggle that I have, that often I get distracted by things in my life or I'm I'm paying attention to things that maybe don't matter as much as I think they matter. And as a result, I miss an opportunity, I believe, to really connect with God. And let me just say, I am grateful for God's grace that he doesn't treat me as he did with uh, Nadab and Abihu, right? I would be guilty. I would be guilty. And so I'm just reminded as, as I look at these passages, I'm reminded about the importance of what worship is all about and how we're to approach it in our life. So here's the thing. I want, us to, I, I want to move to something that I think, you know, you could look at that, you could read that in the Old Testament, you say, okay, well, that's all well and good, Jeff, but what does that mean, like, for me today? I'm glad you asked, because I think there is a connection that we absolutely need to make uh, to, to this very thing, that when we submit our lives by faith to God, When you came to God by faith and said, Lord Jesus, you are my Savior, I commit my life to you, your life fundamentally changes. Things change when you come to God by faith. And the first thing you need to recognize is that you have a calling from God. And that calling from God is a calling as a priest. Let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 4. Peter says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Down in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What I'm, what I'm saying is this, is that if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are a priest. You have the calling of a priest. 
and this uh, relationship uh, with God has changed, and you have a new ability to make a connection with God. You do not need another human being to go before you and set the, the tone for you. We have a great high priest who has gone before us and has made, uh, made the way uh, for us. And let me be clear. This morning as I stand in front of you, I stand in front of you as a pastor. My, my, my role within this local church is, is a pastor, a shepherd of people, and I am a priest. And for you this morning, uh, you may be a teacher, you may be a welder, you may be a chef, you may be a hairdresser, you may be a police officer, but you are also a priest. You are a priest before God. So this this is a calling that we need to re- embrace. We need to recognize this is who God has called us to be. And as we follow Jesus, our great high priest, he makes this possible. Hebrews chapter 7, listen to this. Such a, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart uh, from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike any other high priest. He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus went before us. Jesus paved the way. By his righteousness we are made holy. And we can embrace this calling as priests uh, before God. So we have a calling from God to be priests before him. And we also need to pay attention to our clothing. In the same way that the priests had special clothing that they wore when they went into the presence of God, we need to be aware of how we clothe ourselves when we go into God's presence. And if we are, if we are indeed priests, then the garments that we wear are essential. It's important that we recognize how we stand before God. If we're going to live in the presence of God, we must be clothed appropriately. And so first and foremost, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, has gone before us. And we need to be clothed in his righteousness. Jesus gives us uh, his garments. So that we, like the priests here in Exodus, we can enter into God's presence. And when we wear these clothes of Christ by faith, he takes our punishment And we enter into the presence of God unharmed. And through Jesus, we are made acceptable and holy. So this is a regular theme, I believe, in the New Testament. And so I want to finish this morning by just sharing with you three passages that I think nail this uh, perfectly. And I just want you to sit in the truth of what the New Testament says to us about our role as priests and then about the garments or our clothing that we wear. First from Romans chapter 13 verse 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Then from Ephesians chapter 4. That however is not the way you not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth That is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, 
and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called, called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray with you. God, I am grateful this morning for the truth of your word, that you have clothed us, or you desire, God, to clothe us in the righteousness of your son, Jesus. And so this morning, friends, if, if you have never, by faith, taken on the clothing of, of Jesus, if you have never said, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm yours. Thank you for your sacrificial death on my behalf and for the new life that the, the righteousness of Jesus you can do that this morning. The prayer sounds something like this. It's just, Lord Jesus, I, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I, I recognize that I'm unworthy before you. And Jesus, that you are the perfect sacrifice for my sins. So I put on your righteousness by faith this morning. That you would transform and change my life. And it's my desire to live with you for the remainder of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I have one little challenge for you on your way out. Uh, up on the screen should be my email address. There it is. Pretty fancy. So two things. If you have never prayed that prayer that I just prayed with you to, to by faith clothe yourself with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I would like to know about that. Because I would, we would love to walk with you through the journey that you're on now as a follower of Christ. So that's the first thing. You can send me an email and just let me know that that happened. Secondly, you may say, you know what, I would like to investigate a little bit more about what it means to clothe myself in Christ. It sounds wonderful. Those verses sound great, Jeff. But I, I would like to investigate a little bit more about what it means to clothe myself with the person of Christ. So if you are interested in that, you send me an email. And for five days this week, Monday through Friday, I'm going to send out an email it's going to have a passage to read that's along that theme with a couple of questions to answer. And I would like to have a little dialogue going uh, around that idea of clothing ourselves with Christ. So if you would like to know more about that, jump into the conversation and we'll do that Monday through Friday of this week. Uh, and if you think you've got it figured out already, I would like to hear uh, from you on that. Because I feel like this, uh, I could learn from you perhaps uh, what that might uh, look like. All right, let me pray for us. God, so grateful uh, to be in your presence this morning. God, we, we recognize as we are coming out of worship now that we've been in the presence of a holy God.
that we need to, as we come to worship, uh, we need to come with reverence, with a, a deeper understanding of the reality of what Jesus has done in our life to give us access to you, uh, our, our God, this morning. So as we walk out of here, would we walk with a, just a renewed understanding of who we are, that we represent you to the rest of this world now. As we walk out of here as priests of yours, that that would be reflected not just on our faith, but how, on our face, but how we live our lives as we move through this week. So God, we're grateful for that. Uh, bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.